welcome to the Philia podcast. Philia means daughter. We are the daughters of the women who came before us and we fight so that our daughters may be free. We are a women-led volunteer organization. Our vision is a world free from patriarchy where all women and girls are liberated. We seek to contribute to the women's liberation movement by building sisterhood and solidarity among women locally, nationally, and globally. By amplifying the voices of women, particularly those less often heard or purposefully silenced, and by defending women's human rights. Our podcast seeks to shed light on some of the most pressing issues facing women and girls around the world. Please take from them what you can. In sisterhood and in solidarity, the Philia team. Hello, it's Sally Jackson here, volunteer at Philia, and I'm really pleased to be joined today by Dr Laurel Forster. She's a reader in cultural history at the University of Portsmouth and has been involved in a really exciting project about women's community activism. Uh, And I'm really glad that we've got time to chat with her about the project um, today. Good morning, Laurel. Hi, Sally. Thanks very much for having me. Oh, we're delighted. Um, We had... um, the, the pleasure of coming and having a, a chat with you about the project and as soon as we heard about it we knew we wanted to share that information and and let more women know um, about what was happening because it's um, I, I was thinking this morning actually just reading in cultural history that in itself is just so exciting and so much about women's cultural history that we often miss that's not recorded that's not um, noted for, for women to be able to go back and research. Yes, indeed. I mean, that that really was the main impetus behind the project, and it, it was called The Hidden History. And so the point of it was to, um, to interview women of Portsmouth and the Portsmouth area to let them speak about their activism, their community work, their feminist ideals, beliefs before before we lose these women and this history and so that was the project really and so going back to you know really back into the 70s for for women here in Portsmouth how were they involved within the the women's liberation movement what what was happening here well all sorts of things and and the work builds on um, writings and publications by Dr. Sue Bruley and myself. And really credit must go to Sue Bruley for the original idea. And her early work uh, with uh, women in Portsmouth on their feminism, she held various meetings and we had a conference where we invited local women to talk about all those things that they were doing locally. And so the point of the project really was to understand the women's liberation movement on a national scale, but also to delve down and see what that meant for local women. So on a national scale then, there were the demands, of course, everybody's heard of the demands, childcare, contraception, equality of pay, education and so on and more demands were were added but for for the women in Portsmouth 
this translated in a myriad of ways. So some of those women joined the Women's Liberation local branch, but others took up issues perhaps in their workplace or they fought racism uh, through local groups. And so in the archive, which was the main point of the project, we've interviewed about 60 women of all different interests and activities, and we've stored those, um, those interviews at the Portsmouth Central Library in the History Centre there. So I can talk endlessly about those <laughs> interviews, but the, the, the detail that the women talk about in some of those interviews, which last an hour long, is amazing. So I would urge uh, anyone interested in local women's history to go and uh, listen to some of those interviews. And, and just the very fact that your project has enabled the recording of those interviews and that that history is is now there and available for for women and researchers in the future to to come back and it is in itself an absolute treasure trove isn't it it is and we're very grateful to have been funded by the heritage lottery fund uh, who enabled the project and without their support the project wouldn't have been possible so um, we must say a big thank you to them for for their support absolutely and thinking about the women that you interviewed um and clearly from from what you've said there's quite a diversity of women and the kind of like their motivations of, of getting involved in women's liberation i wondered with some of the older women that you talked to whether they were still active in the movement today and, and what sort of things were they up to now if, if they were, you know, active in, uh, in some way? Yes, it was fascinating because we were able to interview across generations of women. So we interviewed some women who uh, were involved in consciousness raising back in the 1970s and some of those women were still campaigning for things like WASPI now and still involved with campaigns about the environment uh, and so on. Younger women perhaps had taken on projects to do with green spaces in the city or fighting against the overuse of plastics but some of the older women who are now at an age to try and draw their pension were involved in those campaigns. So it's really interesting to see how women who were campaigning in the 70s are still campaigning for women's rights. Yes. There's always more work to do, isn't there? I think always, once, always. once your consciousness is raised, yeah. Yes. I mean, talking to one of the women interviewing her, there was always an element of sort of fun and female camaraderie and activism together. I mean, one interview talks about an absolutely hilarious initiative where they went down to South Sea Common and, and uh, started do, doing pretend housework, cleaning the grass and brushing down the, the seats and, and so on, just in order to, to bring to attention the idea of women's sort of daily drudgery of housework but I mean how how hilarious would that have been you'd be walking your dog past the common and you'd see these women doing housework on blades of grass I mean you know 
It's brilliant, Um, isn't it? Women are so creative, aren't they, in in the way they um, display their activism? They are. They are. And we had the privilege of interviewing some of the women of Portsmouth who are artists. And one woman in particular who works as a textile artist decided that there was no there was no placard big enough for everything she wanted to say. So she made a dress, a great big dress that says bollocks to austerity and other such things to uh, to make her campaigning message clear. And it's fabulous. And I, I believe we're going to have, um, if, if women are interested in coming to see that dress, we're going to have it at the conference next Fantastic. year. So please do do come yeah. along and see that. Well, one of the other things I really love about um, working with, with women across the country with Philia is we're, we're always bumping into women that were at Greenham Common yeah. uh, and involved with the peace movement. And I'm assuming that local women are also part and parcel of that movement. Well, of course, because Portsmouth is quite close you know it's fairly local to Greenham Common and so we interviewed a lot of women who were involved who campaigned there were buses organized to um, to travel to Greenham and yes women campaigned they were involved in the court cases there were women who were arrested and made their very public declarations in court uh, there were women who sewed banners and campaigned. So there was a lot of participation. And they were, you know, they were really highly motivated for a variety of reasons. So there was one interviewee who talks about how in the middle of the night, she heard this thundering past her her, her window, thundering down the street. So she looked outside to see great big lorries carrying nuclear missiles that had been docked at the the port or whatever were traveling through Portsmouth on their way to Greenham past her bedroom window in the middle of the night you know and so her motivation and and the motivation of others was to sort of work against this for the sake of their children they wanted um they wanted the play they wanted their children to grow up in a safe society and so they campaigned against nuclear armament and i think one of probably one of the most successful campaigns in that you know i think the if you go to greenham common now and see the beauty that is there from the destruction and the whole military complex that was was there then that that change that was brought about by those women that that stood up and spoke out is is just a a real testament to what can be achieved they stood up they spoke out they acted collectively and had an impact but I don't think I don't think it was without cost you know some women left their families for long periods of time um there were some absolute tragedies at Greenham Common, um, and one of our interviewees uh, talks about that and the the garden that was set up. But women were campaigning against peace in all sorts of ways, um, and I think that it took a lot of personal courage as well for women to, as one woman said, get hold of the mic of the megaphone you know it was always being held by a man and so in order to stand up and say what you wanted to as a woman you had to draw on a great inner strength 
get hold of that megaphone and speak up. And, you know, for, for many women who were used to more modest lives, um, that's quite a big step. It take, takes a lot of courage, doesn't it? It does take courage, yes. Could it takes conviction too. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit about the, the talking table and what that's about? Yes, this was um, commissioned by an artist. And the point of this is to enable snippets from all these interviews to be held and listened to as women collectively sit round a table. And on, on the top of the table, there are uh, images from all the different kinds of areas that we that we've interviewed on really those that subject matter issues of childcare and the workplace and peace campaigning and and um, so on and then the the table also has earphones and little recording discs that, that's where you can listen to snippets from from the interviews yeah excellent and it, it did a tour of uh, of local libraries and community centers um, I think, again, what's, what's been so great about this project is not only have you gone out into the community to gather the information, but then has very much been about sharing that information within the local community as well. So it's, it's very much held by the women of Portsmouth, isn't it? It is. And we were invited to quite a few of the local libraries. So we went to South Sea Local Library and we, we gave talks at the Central Library in, in the Guildhall. Uh, we went to community centres and uh, talked about the project. We had uh, we had a final sort of meeting where we invited some of the women who'd been interviewed to come back and talk about what the project had meant for them. And really, that was very moving. They brought their partners or their children or their friends, and many of them stood up and said that they'd never told their stories before and how much that meant to them. It was, it was wonderful, actually. Mm. They felt that they'd kind of finally got recognition for all the work that they'd done, all the campaigning, all the activism, all the dealing with the councils. That, that recognition was so important. And I think it, you know, it gave a sense of purpose to their lives and a, a sense of you know, it, it gave them back a sense of elevated self-esteem mm. because, you know, the, what their work had been recognised. Quite rightly. And it's, you know, one of our, our central tenants here at Philia is, is amplifying the voices of women and particularly those that are, are less often heard or purposefully yes. silenced. And, and it is very often the women in history that are less often heard and their stories that once, you know, like, as likely to be recorded. Yes. One of the, the issues I know in Portsmouth that, that's always historically been an issue, and I suppose actually thinking about it uh, nationally for women, is around housing and, and in that including um, the refuge movement and emergency housing for, for women oh. that need it. Were you able to cover that and um, how was local women's activism contributing to, towards those campaigns and, and the, that work? Well, Portsmouth is is a really, really interesting city to study, as as you know, because 
it has, I think that the term is housing stock, but it has very small housing stock. And so the, the houses that are built are of a very small size. It's very compact city, densely populated. And I think that this is quite well known. What's less understood, it seems, is the impact that that has on women and children and on daily lives. And so we, we interviewed a lot of women who have campaigned for um, the preservation of green spaces in the city, of improvements to housing in Port C, for, in, for instance, and, and also, as you say, the, the density of, of population and a problem for women nationally has been um, historically uh, sexual abuse or domestic abuse. And Portsmouth was one of the earliest cities to recognise this and to act upon it. So we had the privilege of interviewing women who were involved in the very early rape crisis telephone helpline and uh, listening to their stories of setting that up with volunteers and how, how that grew. And in Portsmouth, we had one of the earliest um, women's refuges. Uh, 1983, I think, was the date of the refuge set up. And some of the very moving interviews are about how, how women felt. They put in so much work. They they dealt with the council, they'd, um, they'd been fundraising, they'd had various applications turned down because nobody wanted the refuge next door to them. So they, it was a real battle to set it up. And the, the interviews where the women talk about how they opened the doors to families, to women and their children who needed somewhere to go is, um, well, it's, it's a privilege to, uh, to have you know, recorded those and, and kept them such important work. I think as well, it's, you know, I suppose in a lot of cities, it, it may well be the same, but with the, the nature of it being an island city, we're, yes. we're fortunate that, you know, that work continues. So the, the rape crisis movement, um, the domestic abuse movement, yes. there's, you know, the work that those women started is still yes. very active and very much part of uh, the women's movement um, today. It's essential and it's important work. And hearing the battles involved in getting the, um, the centre set up, you know, takes your breath away, really. <laughs> And yeah. I, I remember um, Diana Warren Holland, a, a formidable woman who, um, with the rape crisis, rape crisis service, you know, once Diana had decided that was going to happen, there was no way it was not going to happen. <laughs> well, you know, you have to admire that level of determination, mm. don't you, to see the project through to the end. And I, I think the first house might have been named after her. The, I think the yes, and the the current. Rape Crisis Building is, is named in her honour quite rightly too because she did so much for the city. And yep. shouldn't that important work be um, be recorded and preserved and brought to the, the fore, really? I mean, I think our project was great, but it's only scratched the surface, you know. <laughs> there's, there's much, much more to be done and I hope that people will use the archive and do more work you know there, there's more to be done more women to be interviewed and more stories to be told
yeah absolutely and, and as you say this projects like this hopefully then inspire more women to to continue and to and to to look into the different areas of interest that they have to to increase that knowledge yes and of course the 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 whole uh, rape crisis and women's refuge movement is is really interesting because it in Portsmouth it's it's a great example of how a national something that was brought to consciousness nationally or brought to attention nationally has has been a really really important project locally and it's that national and local connection that we were interested in 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 this project absolutely and it's um you know there will be lots of families you know adults that spent time as a child in the refuge won't they yeah. and, um it'll well, still be a very important memory for them yes yeah and I, I suppose actually going to the sort of like the other side of criminal justice, I understand that you also spoke to the governor of what, I mean, it's closed now, isn't it? But we had the, the men's lifers prison here in Portsmouth and yes. the very first female governor of a men's prison was was in Kingston prison. What, yes. what were some of the stories that she had? That must have been really interesting. Oh, that is a fantastic interview. And, you know, I can hardly do it justice, but... It's another example of how feminism of the 1970s had a direct impact on certainly this woman's life, because she, in her, in her application and her interview for that tremendously important job, she, she used, invoked the 1975 Sex Discrimination Act. And she said that she shouldn't be barred from being the governor of a men's prison just because she was a woman. And she was right. And the act had just been passed and she got the job. So, you know, the Sex Discrimination Act may not have been perfect. And I think we could probably all agree. <laughs> um, we could all agree with that. But in this case, she used the act and it worked. So. That was a wonderful interview. And what she displays is a sort of a phenomenal humanity and humor. She's hilarious, <laughs> actually. The, um, apparently the, the governors and the, the prisoners, uh, the, 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 um, the warders and the, the prisoners didn't know what to call her. So the first suggestion was, shall we call you, uh, shall we call you madam? And, <laughs> Her, her retort, as she recalled it, was, I don't want to be the only madam in an all-male establishment. So, um, yeah, hilarious, really. I um, mean, she, she clearly, um, going into work like that, she she was going to be able to handle, you know, the oh, any yeah. of the issues that, that came out uh, from uh, the men. No, no problem there, I felt. Yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. But when she went on to talk, so she was very funny, you know, she, she demonstrated that she had a sense of humour. Um, she didn't want to be called governess either, because she said that was too much like Jane Eyre. So they ended up calling her governor. But when she went on in her interview to talk about the work that she did and, and the care that she provided, I mean, so she introduced open university degrees to, to that prison and... Can you imagine the difference that that will have made to some of those men's lives? 
and it's a, it's a phenomenal thing to have done. Absolutely, and you know the seeing the wider picture of of what was hopefully going to be achieved by men spending time in prison rather than just punishment. Yes, I, and I think that um, as I said, her her humanity just shines through. You know, and her desire to make that time that those men were serving in that prison for very, very serious crimes, but to to treat them with respect and to try and improve their lives during that time, I thought was was a tremendous ambition. I was full of admiration for her. And and recognizing that those men were going to come out of prison and we, you know, society wants them to be better men coming out than the men that went in. And, you know, something has to happen while in prison for that to occur, doesn't it? Absolutely. Yes. And I think she was quite determined to to try and help them on their way. You know, absolutely. One of the other issues that um, is is consistently an issue I imagine has you know has been over the time from from the the women working and active in the early 70s is the the compounding impact of racism so women experiencing you know sexism and being disadvantaged on account of their sex um, but then additionally the barriers for for women of color how has that affected women's activism in Portsmouth yes it's Portsmouth has a fascinating demographic, doesn't it? Because it's got its very strong traditional families where generations might live in the same street, but it's also a multicultural population and has been for a very long time. And we interviewed a lot of women who have worked tirelessly with various groups, um, uh, such as the Red Cross or in Portsmouth, the African Women's Forum, show racism the red card the minority women's group and they act as support uh, venues um, or as means of social interaction uh, help with organizing finances translation and and just community understanding yeah we were able to interview the uh, the chair of the African Women's Forum, and she's done tremendous work in raising awareness, really, and getting communities working together. So the women, I think, who've worked in in this area of feminist activism have have really tried to um, bring a positive approach to, to their work. And, and as you say, it never fails to amaze me that, you know, the range and diversity of women's groups, because there are so many different ethnicities in Portsmouth. There are. Um, and that, that variety, but also the commonality where where groups come together yes. um, is, is really positive, I suppose, again, because of the, the nature of being an island city and we're all so close to each other it enables that that mixing as well as that recognition of of their individuality and the needs of of, um, different communities yes and you know we've in our in our interviews we've we've got women who have um, worked uh, against FGM female genital mutilation um, 
and supported women and girls who have been subjected to this or who are in danger. Uh, so, you know, really important, serious issues. And other women who have worked with theatre groups to try and bring awareness or, or who've set up coffee clubs. And uh, th there's one called Chat Over Chai, I think. And, you know, places for, for women to meet and talk. And so a full range of, of, of needs being met and um yeah and help being offered really fabulous and we we've talked about um the nature of, of Portsmouth uh, as yeah. a town I suppose one aspect though that we can't forget is the fact that it's a naval city oh, and yeah. we have you know the the, the dockyard there is it's a, a massive part of the the city's identity so were you able to talk um with with any wrens with any women um who yes. were part of the naval city Yes, well, as you say, it's part of what makes Portsmouth, the history of Portsmouth, especially interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, it is a, a city that's been dominated by, by the naval bases and by the dockyard. And so, yes, we, we interviewed, interviewed a range of, of women. We, we interviewed one woman whose mother was a, a surgeon in the uh, in the Wrens and we interviewed another woman who who joined she joined the Navy when she was only 17 I think it was young young and she spanned that period where women were allowed then they were of course they were shore based up until about 1993 I think it was and she spanned the period when they were then allowed to see and she was one of the first who went to sea. But the things that she had to go through, I mean, in her interview, she talks about being spat at in the street if she wore her uniform. And wives of um, sailors would, uh, would call her a tart who was just going to sea to bonk their husband. And that's a quote. <laughs> Can you imagine? So. In her interview, she talks about how she stopped wearing her uniform in the street because of the abuse that she was getting, because she was, you know, now going, uh, going to sea. And she also talks about how difficult it was, because at first, these women, only a very few women on a great big ship, there was no code of conduct, she says. Um, and they didn't know how, the women didn't know how to behave. So at first they just tried to be sort of blokey like the men. But of course that wasn't really appropriate or suitable or comfortable. Um, there was a lot of sexism on, uh, on board ship. But eventually there were, um, there were codes of conduct and, you know, a, a pattern of behaviour emerged. But hers is a fascinating interview. Mm -hmm. And just again, such courage because it's always those first women to do yes. things um, yes. that, as you say, then causes the Navy to think, okay, well, how do yes. we manage women on ships and, and what do we do about this and how do we support? And until it happens, nobody considers that, do they? So it's, if it wasn't for these women being brave That's, enough to be the first. Yes. Well, trailblazers, really. Mm. 
And she went on to be a diversity officer and uh, made all sorts of interesting changes from uniforms. So she upgraded the women's uniforms so that equal rank of men and women had very similar looking uniform. And to us, that just seems like a natural thing. You feel like saying, well, of course, but it wasn't the case. And it took somebody to be proactive and say, look, we can't have women officers not having all the right um, epaulettes or paraphernalia or mm. gold braiding or whatever. You know, they have to look the same as the, uh, the men of similar rank. And fair enough. And she Absolutely. achieved it. Yeah. Absolutely. And but as well as um, women serving in the Navy, we also interviewed wives of servicemen. And it was interesting to get their perspectives on, uh, on life in Portsmouth too. And some of those interviews are harrowing because they talk about times when they were waiting for news of their husbands at sea. So, they, so there are a few who talk about the Falklands War and how they were sat together in someone's sitting room watching the news to see which ships had been sunk and waiting for the ring on the doorbell. Wow. It's quite moving stuff. Yeah, you, you cannot imagine. And, and I'm struck as well in saying that, that the support that, those women got from from each other and how you know in yes. in these you know when these awful things occur how well, women do come together quite... to to help and to support each other absolutely crucial and they talk about that and they talk about how you know they all cared for 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 everyone nobody wanted anybody's husband brother father you know to to be one of the tragic um, losses no it, it's such a fascinating project Lowell I really appreciate you 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 know, dipping in and, and telling us some of the stories and would really encourage women to to find out more um, I understand there is a booklet that's been produced with the findings yes. of the project um, is that available? Um, how, how might women be able to get hold of it? Well, I've, I've put together a little A5 size booklet that that draws on a few a few of the interviews and um, a few of the quotations from some of the women that we interviewed. And people are very welcome to have a, have a copy of this. There's no charge, and they are welcome to either pick one up at the next Philia conference, because I should bring some along there. That's brilliant. Um, or if they're particularly interested and want one urgently, they can email me on my university email address, which is laurel.forster at port.ac.uk. And we'll, we'll record that on the website. And I, I would absolutely encourage women to find out more but what I would say is Lowell you don't want to spend the rest of your year posting out booklets so if women can <laughs> hang on to the conference we'll be we'll be delighted to share them there yes. but 
equally I recognise it's such a resource if, if women are out there doing research and there might be things here that are pertinent it's really really gracious of you to agree to to, to email those few if, if necessary if they're needed in the near future. Well the other thing that people can do um, as well as look at the booklet is to is to go and actually look at the archive and that is purposefully kept not at the university library but at the Portsmouth History Centre, which is in the Norwich Central Library in the Guildhall Square. So the Central Library in the History Centre, which I think is on the third floor, there is the archive and it's called Women's Community Activism in Portsmouth since 1960. Fabulous. That's, I can um, imagine myself whiling away a few hours in there just oh, in, yes. in delight at, at all the yeah. information there. Lois, thank you so much for doing this work. And I know it's not the end of it. There'll be more, more work um, coming along. Um, we really appreciate you sharing it with us at Filio. And, and of course, look forward to seeing you at the conference um, with the booklets yeah. as well next year. I'm looking forward to the conference too. And it would be nice to, uh, to meet up again with some of the women that we've interviewed. It would be great to, uh, to get them telling their stories. Oh, that would be absolutely so rich. And, and I'm sure there will be so much interest in that. I hope so. Thank you, Laurel. Do take care. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. We are incredibly grateful to all the women who donate their time and their efforts to create this podcast. That includes our guests, our interviewers, and our editors. You can find us on your favorite listening platforms like Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify. Just search for Philia Podcast. Please help us reach even more women. You can do that by subscribing to our show, by sharing this podcast with your friends, with your family, and with your co-workers, or by leaving us a positive rating and review. Philia organizes the largest annual grassroots feminist conference in the UK. We would love to see you there. You can support our work by joining the Friends of Philia scheme, by giving a solidarity ticket so that even more women can join our conference, and by subscribing to our newsletter please take a look around our website, philia.org.uk, to find out more. Together, women make magic happen, and we can't wait to be in touch with you.